Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. And we've got Adam Frisch with us today. This is an extra special episode. Um, as you all know, the Action 22 annual meeting is coming up, and we've been having a lot of discussions about energy. And I don't think we can talk about it enough. But when Adam was on our show a few weeks ago, he started to talk a little bit about it, and I was so taken with what he was saying that I lost my train of thought. So I asked him to come back so that we could take a deeper dive on this, um, especially since it's going to be the primary focus of day two of our annual meeting in just a couple of weeks. So Adam, thanks for coming oh, back. It's, it's great. I think this is trip 20 to Pueblo. Always I, glad to I, be back. The first time I haven't been sweating because uh, it's actually <laughs> probably about 50 degrees outside. Right it now. is yeah. 50 degrees outside. It's rather cool. I, I just came from the homecoming parade up in Rye. Um, and so I was rushing and we were all sitting out there shivering but um yeah it it feels good i'm a fall yeah i'm a fall person so but it begs the question of course about energy especially when it starts to get cold and now you know in the summertime we don't think about it as much but we're you know having a lot of conversations about end users all of the above approach so can we just uh rewind for a minute and you talk about really um why? Because energy is one of your things. Yeah, That's one of exactly. the so pro-energy, pro-jobs. Yeah. So will you talk water. a little bit about what your position is sure. on that? Because I think some people, because you're you're running as a Democrat, yep. um, but they're surprised a little bit by what you're saying. Almost yep. they don't believe it. Yeah, right? no, I appreciate that. So, uh, no, thanks for allowing to have the conversation. Huge fan of Action 22, of course. Uh, excited to come to the annual uh, meeting as well um you know to me i'm a math person and you know there there is just i think we all agree that it'd be great to kind of start moving that needle more and more to deal with we do have a drought we do have a climate crisis going on but we have a math problem and, and the far the part of the, the loudest part of the left doesn't understand the math problem or they don't want to or they're being disingenuous actually talking about things for short-term political gains but not really realizing what's going to have to happen in 2030 or 2050 um and obviously, I think it's important, you know, the couple of comments I've made and, you know, there's a lot of hard things about running for Congress. One of the easy things is what I've said as a dad and a business person like five years ago, three years ago, is exactly what I told people during my primary. And I'm saying the exact same thing now. So whatever people hear from me, please understand uh, I'm a sincere person. And these are the comments that I've been having for a long time. You know, listen, at the end of the day, uh, if we're going to produce natural gas or we're going to produce oil, it's better to be produced in Colorado and the United States than overseas. I would I would, I would bet you that the factories, if you will, um, and the working conditions and natural gas and oil in Colorado are probably better than what the process is to produce solar panels in China, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just the, the um, extraction that comes out of that, the child labor laws are probably violating that they don't even have over there. Um, and we just, you know, we produce, we have a lot of uh, demand in this country for energy, uh, and I think it's important to realize that there's a certain amount that needs to be produced. And by just shifting it away or saying you don't want it to happen doesn't mean it doesn't need to be produced somewhere. Like water does not just come out of the tap 
Food does not grow in the back of the Safeway supermarket, uh, and oil just the gasoline just doesn't come out of the out of the gas tank that we all go and fill up every once in a while. Um, and so I've just been very thoughtful, I think, and just in being realistic. Of course, we want to get to more green, more locally produced. But there's just a great, even in the Washington Post, um, which is not a far right uh, newspaper, had this conversation. They are actually disappointed that the Democratic led House did not support the focus that um, Joe Manchin wanted to offer. Now, part of it was for his own little um, West Virginia expansion of some deregulatory environment to make sure that can be produced. But the problem is, even if we have all this electrification happening, at the rate this country is going and producing the supply of transmission lines, it would be 80 years, eight zero. it would be eight decades for us to be able to produce the amount of supply of transmission lines to produce all this electrification that we need if we get rid of all this um, non-renewable energy. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit like if all of a sudden we had all the water we could have in south and western Colorado, we have nowhere to store it. Yeah. Right. And we have to figure out a place to store it. Um, and so I just think that there's a disconnect uh, between what some of the loudest people in the Democratic Party are saying about energy independence and where, where we need to go. And unfortunately, like today and yesterday is a perfect example. Uh, half the Biden White House is trying to figure out how to make it harder and harder in the United States, let alone in Western and Southern Colorado, produce energy. And at the same time, the other half of the White House is literally begging Saudi Arabia and in negotiations with Venezuela about to open up more. And so like we are reducing more cleaner supply of energy in our own state that doesn't need to be transported very far while we are going literally around the world or down below in Venezuela or in Saudi Arabia asking for more, more oil. It's completely bonkers. Yeah, and going back to just the conditions of where we get this, whether it's solar panels in China or oil from the Mideast, um, if you've ever been to the Mideast and been to some of the countries that have oil refineries and wells there, it is not good. And, and we're talking coastal cities like on the Gulf, and you go out on the beach and it's just trash. It's oil yeah. barrels, waste, this, and, and that's where we're getting it. Um, I don't think I've seen one oil extraction operation or refinery in Colorado or, or the country. And I've been to a lot of them, even back in Kansas where it's dirty, Yeah, you know, where it's polluted, where there's just stuff everywhere and polluting the environment. And I think that that's something that gets skipped over like, okay, let's reduce our extraction here. Well, we still got to buy it from somewhere that really doesn't have these laws and regulations. They're just trashing the earth. No, I mean, if a barrel of oil is going to be produced, it's better for the global climate that it comes from the United States and some of our European allies. You can look up at Norway, which is a big energy producer as well in the oil fields and offshore as well, compared to, you know, it's a little bit of just whether you want to call it bad luck or however it had. Now you look at where a lot of this energy is. It's either in really, really bad countries Mm -hmm. that is not good for national security and being beholden to Venezuela for anything is really, really bad. Being beholden to Saudi Arabia is very, very bad. Having to try to have these conversations uh, with Iran is really, really bad. And we're trying to reduce their nuclear proliferation down there. Uh, at the same time, in the back of our head, we have to be concerned because we're a customer. And that is really complicated to get in those kind of things. And that's why we should be doing it here. And, uh, you know, I think there is a way, you know, to me, regulatory, uh, um, it, it's the consistency. People really want to know 
for the next X amount of years. And, you know, as you know, a lot of these producers, ideally, they have 15 or 20 years uh, that they really need before they make a commitment. Yeah. And they're they're fine having higher standards than anywhere else. They just need to be consistent yes. so they can plan long term. Yep. And that's not allowed to be done because every two years, there's a different conversation going yeah. on. So I think that's one of the things that um, I always feel like I'm missing some part of the argument that we um, will beg to get into bed with Venezuela or Saudi Arabia or one of these other countries while we um, beat up on ourselves on this energy. What am I missing in this conversation? What's the rationale? It can't be that illogical and so many people get pushed so hard. What am I missing? Either one of you can answer that question. Some of it I think is out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Like, you know, I, you know, we're, we're, we're Colorado has made some decisions, not based on economics, but based on this greater good of the climate crisis that we're having, that we should be shutting down coal plants in X amount of years. Right. And so if some of that coal plants ends up going to natural gas, that's all great from one conversation. But if this coal production is just going to be moved to Utah or Wyoming mm-hmm. or, or back to China, uh, then we're just not winning. And why we might be able to check a box and consider ourselves good Coloradoans, all we're doing is outsourcing a, a problem and we're making it worse off. And I, to me, that's not a good neighbor uh, yeah. to just to kick the can down the road or kick it over to another country. Yeah, and and it's it's good intentions. I, I mean, this is not some evil conspiracy yeah, no. to shut us down and and break the backs of the working class. I, it's good intentions, of course. Everybody that's young and idealistic that's up there in D.C. or the Capitol, you know, they want what's best, and in their mind, this is what's best. And I can't disagree with them on that. It's just with maybe I'm getting old, <laughs> a little more experience looking back. It, the world doesn't work that way. You can't just shut stuff off and have everything great. So maybe, and it, it it's it feels like hubris, um, the argument that if we just set the example that everybody will fall in line, if we set the example of, of this, and it doesn't feel like it's really about energy security. And I, that's where we came um, at it from, especially when we were looking at what happened in 19 um, at the state legislature, um, and then what happened again, you know, there's there's another attack or another something else every single year, it feels like. So this last year, it was um, it was uh, House Bill 1362 that was a de facto shutting down of um, natural gas in the future. But if you go and you look at what the EPA says or anybody else that really says if you want to reduce emissions, one of the most powerful, um, pun intended, uh, transitional vehicles is natural gas. But now all of a sudden we've done, we've gotten rid of coal, we've gotten rid of, um, you know, we're getting rid of coal and it's going to be this. Um, and now it's an attack on natural gas. Yep. Um, and there's not that space and it depends on who you're talking to, whether they'll say, oh yeah, we can, we can go complete electrification. Um, it's no problem. You know, that's, it's going to happen regardless. Let's just push it forward. Yeah, I mean, uh, in 2010, I think the country's power grid was supplied by about 10% renewable. 
recently it's now at 24. So we're basically about a quarter uh, of our energy as the United States is, is, is from renewable energies, which is great. Uh, and I wish we'd spent more time talking about geothermal because um, it's not like when the wind doesn't blow or the sun doesn't shine. Geothermal is 24-7, 365 days a year. Yeah. And we don't need a battery. We don't need a storage. So I wish more of that was discussed. Mm-hmm. But then the day, it's not just – we also need it to be locally produced. And I know that there's a bunch of great solar fields here in Pueblo. I think we all need to honor we have this 150-year-old uh, – mill the steel mill is 90 percent solar powered it's the only steel mill in the world that's solar powered at that level it's a great story uh right next or soon close to that uh, we have 800 jobs coming i believe to be the largest producer in the world of the wind turbine towers Mm -hmm. uh it was veritas from the netherlands i think a south korean company is owning it now so a lot of those solar powered a lot of those wind towers uh, are going to be produced right here in Pueblo, Colorado. There's yeah. obviously a legacy of steel and, and understanding of welding. So there's great things happening, but it can only do so much. And a great and again, when you produce solar or any type of electricity, which is different than energy, when you produce the electricity, you have to store it somewhere or, or you have to send it somewhere. And we literally do not have the power grid mm-hmm. to move things around. And this regulatory environment, which we need some type of regulation, we need to be balanced, we need to protect the environment and and wildlife and everything else like that. But it's going to be 80 years before we have the enough of the supply of the transmission lines to move all the solar powered around and all this wind around, let alone the battery. The battery stuff will come. There is great things happening in storage, and we should invest in that. But we should also realize that the materials that go into the batteries – copper and other places are coming from really challenging national security sensitive countries as well. Yeah. And it's not just the people say rare earth minerals like lithium, right? Copper and copper, anything like this, but it's not necessarily that they're coming from there. The only place they can process this is China right now. Yeah, That's it. Like nobody can do this. We can't do, we can mine lithium. I think Utah has one of the largest lithium deposits in the world, but can't do anything with it unless we send it to China and have them refine it and Why? send it back. Why? It's just a refinery process. Same thing as gasoline. You know, you take the oil out, it has to go to refinery to create gasoline. So these rare earth min- minerals like lithium, I don't even think lithium is rare earth, but it's yeah. a mineral that's needed. Um, it can only be processed. It needs to be processed and can only be processed in China and come back. So what is the um, the mining, um, what's the impact of mining and and, and capturing those the, those rare earth minerals that are needed for batteries and for phones and for all this technology? It's um, probably one of the most extreme, for lack of a better term, mining operations. So it's similar it's not to, pretty. yeah, it's not pretty. So even if you look at coal mines, gold mines, anything like that, you know, they dig a hole in the ground, they go in and get it, or you could strip mine it. But with a lot of these rare earth, I mean, it, it will, it, it's a process. I mean, it will destroy the land where they get it out. Um, which is one reason why the United States has tended to avoid that. And we do have, again, like lithium deposits. It's like our lithium reserves, stuff like that. But it's not a pretty mining operation at all. Yeah, Which doesn't mean we should, you know, we need to continue towards some type of electrification without a doubt. But I I think we need to be humble uh, and realistic and respectful to those that are in the business of doing this. Because it, you know, it uh, it takes um, a bit of hubris to really, hammer down at people men and women are doing that at the same time yeah. they're consumers of it and i say that i'll pick on aoc uh she's one of the loudest 
voices uh, against what's going on in this transition and not doing it respectfully. And, you know, I used to live in New York City for a while. I'm pretty sure that her constituents probably use five times as much energy uh, per capita than the men and the women yeah. in Pueblo, Colorado, or in the Western Slope, or in Rifle, Colorado, or, or in Mesa County. And that that's, that's the frustration of the conversation. Um, and this is where the Democratic Party and why I became a Democrat in, in the end of December after tw- 20 years off is because they've just lost the ability to have this conversation. And the Democrats want to have all these conversations about this tax bill and that tax bill. But before you want someone to get involved in the tax bill, you can't keep calling them deg- and denigrating how they put food on the table yeah. for their family. Yeah. And that is where the Democratic Party has made a huge gaffe. Uh, yeah. And with rural America and working class America, it's just disrespecting them before you can get to the economic conversations. There's dignity that needs to be honored. Yeah. And going back to the the rare earth mineral mining, like I'm not saying we sh- shouldn't do it. It's needed. But would you rather have China do it? Or would you rather have the no, United and it's States better here. do it? You yeah. know, and we just passed. Uh, uh, I'm a huge supporter of this infrastructure bill, right, that, that's been passed. Um, and uh, we need asphalt. And we need concrete and stuff. And asphalt is a byproduct of the dredges of the oil refinery, right? And when that gets done, we need to use that in there. And we're about to spend, you know, billions and billions of dollars that we need to get make our roads better. And it goes back to the same conversation. We just we need we need the byproduct of that oil. So we cannot just get rid of oil like that because there's all sorts of other things and the plastics that come from it. And yes, a more sustainable world is all great. I'd love to get there. I've worked on this kind of stuff, but I've always tried to be very respectful and honest, intellectually honest about the process. So the problem that I'm seeing between the party divide, the Republicans and Democrats, specifically in Congress, you have the Republican side that's, you know, drill, baby, drill. That's it. Like, they don't want to have the conversation. And you have the Democrat side um, saying, you know, no, shut it all off. Like, we're going to drive Teslas with batteries that magically come from the sky. Um, I don't see anybody in Congress, and I'm sure they are behind the scenes, but at least publicly having these conversations saying, hey, no, let's look at their side of it. Let's, you know, let's talk to the Republicans. Let's talk to the Democrats and come together and do this. I have not publicly or on the news seen anybody saying that right now. I've been listening. I've been discovering some podcasts uh, as I've gotten down this journey. And the, the Western Caucus, which is made up of mostly, I would say it's probably 95% Republicans yeah. uh, and a handful of Democrats, and I'd love to get in this thing. Uh, they're having some really interesting conversations about um, energy. Uh, and everyone's saying the same thing, no matter how hardcore you are. Yes, we want to move this needle, but yes, we have to deal with the math and we need to deal with the process. And let's look and see to make sure that we're not on one hand shutting things off here. At the other hand, we're running around to some really bad countries. As I said, it's not like we're getting solar power from Denmark <laughs> when we decide to shut down uh, oil and, and nat, nat gas in Colorado or anywhere else in this country. We're getting the exact same material that's much worse off for the humanity and the climate and labor laws and we're spending all sorts of time and money and energy transporting it halfway around the world instead of trying to move it within our state and and that's the frustration that i have is it just as a human being let alone being part of a party that's just not doing the math Mm -hmm. and that gives me heartburn well that's a little bit about what we're talking about when we say um energy independence yes right it's who do we trust to produce the energy um, if we if we're not trusting um, them to do humanity you know be humanitarian uh, humanitarians as a nation or we um, have some conflict from with 
from a military side or all of those things that we don't, but we're going to trust them with something like energy. Yeah. I think that's the, the next logical step to have that conversation over what are we actually talking about here? And like Brian said, we don't hear anybody talking about it because um, both parties and both can- and candidates and these legislators on both sides are so getting so entrenched into their party that you know to stick your head out and it look is around. Season. It is <laughs> no, I it know, is, but- I know, but it's but it's it's not unique to election season. These are conversations. These are things that have been happening um, on either side of the ca- that calendar. Um, for, and it's it's not like this is all of a sudden a new thing. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and you mentioned it. I think drill, baby, drill uh, is a bumper sticker, but I think it's a pretty derogatory one because I think when I'm talking to the men and the women that are in this field, they understand that there needs to be some real movement and some real thoughtfulness going into this transition. You know, as I think I mentioned before, I'm up in Moffitt and Rio Blanca, and I'm meeting men and women making 16, 17, 18 bucks an hour as electricians or plumbers uh, in a hotel or somewhere else in the resort community aspect of their town, and they were making $61 an hour doing pretty much the exact same trade uh, out in an ACAT field or, or in the coal mine. Uh, and they don't need job training. They just need a, they just need a, a, an industry that's actually going to pay properly. Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't start making these transitions, but unless people, unless the Democratic people truly understand that there's more than just a 3.5% unemployment rate, there's quality to unemployment, not just the quantity of unemployment and people need to realize when you're making 60 bucks an hour, that's $115,000 a year. That's a real career. And that's a real job making 17 bucks an hour. And trust me, we all know there's people that make a lot less than that per hour, but 17 bucks an hour from 61 bucks an hour. You want you, it's not a surprise why there is a growing frustration in the working class that no one is listening to them. So when you, you get elected to Congress, okay. First day there, you, you go through everything. How are you going to make your side of the aisle listen to what you're saying right now? How are you going to approach the Democrats and say, hey, guys and girls, you know, we need to think about this. What's your strategy on that? Well, I mean, it, 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 I get asked all the time, and I'm, I'm speaking in front of the Chamber of Commerce around the district. I was here at Pueblo a couple weeks ago. I thought that was a great, well, it wasn't a conversation because Lauren Bobert wasn't there or whatever. But people come up to me after and say, Adam, I like what you have to say. I, 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 I know you're trying to be sincere, but I'm really concerned about you just kind of falling into the traditional Democratic trap, if you will. And I keep on telling people, like, I don't report to anyone in D.C., no matter how senior or powerful they're supposed to be. I'm hired. I'm going to be hired and hopefully uh, rehired uh, in a couple of years later, not for longevity, but for some period of time, because I'm taking care of the men and the women and the families and the businesses in this community. And I'm just going to go tell them, like, hey, listen, what I told people to get re- elected is what I believe. I'm not just making stuff up and all of a sudden I'm going to cave in here now. If the Democratic Party, more importantly, if the country wants to get a handle on an energy policy, we need to start at the top about what the goal is and then figure out what tools we want to use. But I'm certainly not going to be shy letting people know it, it, whether it's the executive branch or at the legislative branch, like, listen, you cannot just hammer down regulatory stuff down our mouth and then show up in Iran and Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and ask for help. It, it just it just makes us look foolish. And that's what we have a foolish energy policy right now as a country. And we have had one for a really long time because the Democrats are not the only ones that show up in the Middle East hat in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'd have a much safer world and a lot fewer people going overseas to serve if we actually didn't have to be beholden at some level to a lot of bad countries, especially in the Middle East. 
So this is a rhetorical question, but um, the the correlation between um, foreign policy and energy policy, um, there's not a lot of difference, right? There's not a lot yeah. of there's not a lot of separation. They're, they're linked. They're linked. They're, I mean, we you know, if Saudi Arabia didn't have a lot of this oil production, we certainly wouldn't be over there as much as we are. We would certainly have a, a more clear. Uh, policy with some of these communist socialist countries in latin america we'd be able to deal with iran and its nuclear proliferation and being a big bully in the middle east uh, a lot better than we than we did than we are right now and it's it's mucking up uh the safety of concern and it's putting a lot of men and women that that put on a uniform and go serve overseas at risk um and this is a problem that we're running into all the time and that's why again we need to figure out how to have consistency um in, in the office and one of the it'll be great if we could figure out and with some type of dream of allowing people to explore and find out where they need to do and then honor them some type of 20-year commitment that they can be grandfathered in at these regulatory levels and allows that the chance to have it work we need to figure out how to produce more energy because um, no one's going to do it cleaner and no one's going to do it safer than the united states especially in colorado and especially especially in cd3 and one other thing, <clears throat> speaking of energy, uh, carbon capture technology is yep. is up and coming right now. Yep. And you you have this technology that's being developed and innovated by oil companies, coal companies. You know, this is their thing. They're saying like, look, okay, if we're going to go down this road, we're going to develop the technology to make this as clean as possible. And that seems to be out of the conversation too, because coal, uh, carbon capture technology is insane right now. It's better than it's ever been in yep. years. Yeah, you know, there's new technology. Technology cannot save us completely, but obviously battery storage is going to get better and a lot more efficient, and we need to have that part of it. But we also need to be intellectually honest about how a battery is made and how much work it can actually do and the transmission lines that we need to move it from one battery. You know, we have solar panels now in in Pueblo, but all the energy is not just sticking in the same zip code. It's moving across the state, maybe even further away. Um, There are some parts in the mountains in Colorado that are getting wind power from Nebraska, right? And so we also need to remember that the the lack of localization is also a problem, regardless of the type of energy that's being produced. Um, But it's, you know, we're never going to get to 100% locally produced um, renewable energy. It's a great goal. And let's, let's think about trying to get there, but we also have to be, you know, I'm burdened with realism and sometimes that might not be the right thing to do in, in politics or elected service. Um, and especially, you know, I think that there are some unrealistic conversations we could have as uh, the Republican party about not being realistic about some conversations. Uh, but the democrats, you know, they have a burden that they're not really focused on the reality of how the numbers are working in energy. And that's something that needs to be brought to their attention of everybody. So let me ask you this, um, being burdened with realism, Realism. Um, mm-hmm. Is it unrealistic to imagine that Colorado could be the leader in driving in creating cleaner, re- like cleaner, like this is the model for a cleaner natural gas. This is the model for cleaner whatever. Yeah. That we could be the leaders in that if we if we were willing to invest in figuring those yeah. things out. Is that unrealistic? No, not at all. I mean, I, I think we have some of the cleanest coal production. Uh, in the, the country in the world. I think we have some of the cleanest natural gas production in the world. We have, again, we have a 150-year-old steel mill that's 90% solar-powered. We're producing um, wind turbine towers. Th- you know, we have lots of wind. We have lots of sun. Everybody has 55-degree, um, 
you know, seven feet under the ground to work for geothermal and some other things to help cool um, naturally uh, when things are hot. And so there's all sorts of things that could be done. And we are seeing those strides. But I would rather see us arguing about the success and who wants to take credit, Republicans or Democrats, for all the success we're having, instead of fighting over all the failures that are not being happening because people are unwilling to work in a bipartisan manner. And I want to fight over the success, not over the failures. So let's talk about just for a second the economic impacts of um, this transition. We and the term "just transition" gets thrown around a lot, which is a really bothersome term yeah. to me because nobody can. T- it depends on who you ask. So there's two things. It depends on who you ask. Um, that I'm going to get a different answer from. So on the just transition side or this transition, the economic impacts, immediate and long term, um, for our communities that are already marginalized or already struggling. What's what's the reality there? Well, I mean, I, I think just transition was well-meaning at the start, but it's turned into be a pretty superficial conversation. Uh, and I think it's an offensive, it's, a, it's taken offensively, I think, when you go out and talk to men and women that are out there. Whether, it, it, you know, and I, I, I believe that it was well-meaning to start with, but we need to, there just needs to be a fairness and a reality that when you go from 60 bucks an hour to $15 an hour for a lot of families, it's going to create huge amounts of social upheaval. Uh, and just from a pure pocket standpoint, pocketbook standpoint for the city and county treasurers, uh, they're being, they're being decimated. Right. And I think we need to realize, and it's not just fair to say, you know, Sarah, I'm sorry you've been working in this business for a long time. Just hang out. And in 10 years, the solar power truck's going to come around. And the conversations I'm having, uh, with a lot of men and women who are working down in the steel mill making 50 bucks an hour, if you will, and they put up some solar panels, um, you know, a bunch of people come in for 15 bucks an hour. They, they put them all up. Uh, and there might be 50 people to install them, but you only need two or three people to watch them. Right. And so it's not it's not a it's not a just trade. It's not a fair trade. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have that happen, but we need to be a lot more realistic about what we truly need to manage and honor. Um, But half of this is a psychological, emotional conversation where a lot of people just feel like no one is listening to them, whether they're not listening to them in Denver or they're not listening to them in D.C., um, and one of the ways that you do fairly well in public service and civic thing is you become a good listener and there aren't people listening. Um, and it's the same people that are sitting in the Cherry Creek high rises voting. Hey, wouldn't it be cute to have the wolves come back? Uh, and they check that box. Uh, and wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if all of a sudden we just have everyone who is doing coal and energy, they can start driving around solar panel trucks. Um, yes, it would be great, but it's not going to happen for a really, really long time. And there's just a whole different economic model. And we need to figure out how to transition that's fairly and with honor and dignity, because those that honor and dignity is not happening um, from the left side of this political conversation. So let me ask you this. Um, so the other part of that, um, it depends on who you asked uh, the timeline changes. So if somebody, I have found so far that if somebody's invested in one energy resource or another, they're going to give you a different timeline. Um, where do you get the timeline that's going to take 80 years to build that transition? Um, or that transmission, rather. Sorry. I got that. For the Was- I read this surprising editorial in the Washington Post a, a day or two after Joe Manchin, uh, you know, he supported this Inflation Reduction Act. And for that, he was promised by the Senate Majority Leader, that he, that Joe Manchin would get a vote on this regulatory fix thing. 
um, and it just it died, and the Republicans voted no against it. I think partly is political payback, which is just a whole other uh, crap show that happens in there. But the Washington Post wrote this editorial day or two after saying people might be surprised, but we should have supported that because if you look at the math and you have X amount of energy that you need to move around and you have 0.2 X percent of capacity and you look at how often the growth happens of transmission line supply and you draw it out, it's going to be 80 years before we actually have the supply of transmission lines for all this battery, all this electrification we need. Because, you know, if, if we want to be 80% renewable by X amount, you need to have X amount, Y amount of gigawatts moving all over the place or whatever the term is. And we don't have that. And the Washington Post is saying people need to start figuring out a much better regulatory environment for which to put up transmission lines. And, you know, and a lot of powerful communities, they're small, but they're powerful. They want all these all these lines buried. Uh, and so there's all sorts of conversations that need to happen. It's no different than the the battery and the electrification of the auto industry. Like, um, you know, Pueblo is a fairly good sized city, but between here and Walstenburg and, and going up to Nucla and Dove Creek and everything that's happened up in Moffat County, we don't have a place like in Denver. You know, there's probably a charging station every four blocks outside the cafe. The espresso cafe. Well, in Western Colorado, you could be driving a really long time before you get anything. And, you know, and so a lot of, a lot of farmers and ranchers and people are like, what in the world are people thinking or smoking in Denver or to see in, in DC to not really realizing it? And this goes, there's just a huge urban centric conversation happening. Uh, and, and a lot of people in rural America and working class America don't feel like they're part of the conversation. Good. Oh, I, I just uh, going on your race right now. I kind of want to switch topics a little bit. Um, you just got some polling numbers back, and yeah. um, it, it's a statistical tie between you and your opponent, correct? Yeah, yeah. We were down seven points in July. We're now down two within a margin of error four. Um, so I, I, I think we are in a dead heat. And the conversation I've been having for a long time is that it's going to be a bipartisan conversation going on for me to build this coalition of people. I know there's some people that are supportive of me as a person, skeptical of kind of falling into this Democratic trap or party trap. Both parties kind of suck people in. But as you see, um, there's a list of uh, 435 members in Congress in this bipartisan ranking uh, that the Luger Center does through Georgetown. Uh, And I want to be in the top 10 bipartisan member and our current representative is 433 and marjorie taylor green is 434 and there's some democrats at the bottom of that list as too for sure my goal is to be a top 10 bipartisan member of congress and and i tell people forever if there was a get stuff done party i'd be in the get the stuff done party but the get stuff done party is not doing very well right now so uh, it's working out well we've uh, we have a republicans for frisch.com website that's out there uh, we mailed out thousands and thousands of in- invites to uh, registered Republicans and unaffiliated that have voted Republican in the past. Um, and I'm down here to launch my tour. I'm going on a town hall tour. I'll be in Pueblo this afternoon and then Walsenburg and then Alamosa and over to Cortez and, and a bunch of other places and finishing up in, in, in uh, Glenwood and uh, uh, Grand Junction. And we're on about mile 25,000. Uh, and documented 25,000 miles. Um, we don't have to go into those details, whatever, but I just driving. You guys know I'm in Pueblo. Like I've been in Pueblo like every week since February and, and I'm in Grand Junction every other week and I'm all points in between. And, uh, it, you know, it's a, one of the most beautiful district in the entire country. I'm happy to get around. People want the circus to stop and they want someone to actually focus on the job. And I'm trying to focus on the job. Yeah. 
What uh, um, traveling the district? What what are the disparities that you're seeing? Because the third congressional district is interesting in that you have some of the wealthiest communities in Colorado and some of the poorest communities in the country. In, Colorado, yeah. in the country, yeah. yeah. So what what's the? It, it's tough because you go into one and and it's a different set of people you look at and talk to. Yeah. So what are you hearing from? You know, some of these poorest communities, what are their concerns? And then, what, to be fair, what are you hearing from the, the wealthier communities? What yeah. are their concerns? You know, I think there's some common themes. One, everybody loves some type of outdoors, and everyone considers themselves a conservationist who lives in western and southern Colorado. Whether you're hunting or farming or ranching um, or fishing, whatever you're doing, people love some type of outdoor stuff. And I appreciate Pueblo is 150,000 people or so and Junction's about 100,000 people. But everyone has some type of small town character commitment that they feel like. And I grew up in the Midwest in Minneapolis after my time in Montana. But even in Pueblo, it feels like a pretty small town and everyone's related to everyone, I guess. I can <laughs> learn that one in a hurry. Oh, yeah. But uh, I, I still think th- th- there's a commonality over that. And there's a lot of commonalities. There's just a huge um, report from the Latino community. And it was the same thing as everyone else, which is safe schools, right? Um, good schools, safe schools, safe communities, uh, clean air, clean water, um, uh, the product, the, the saving water is really important, and our the prior appropriations re, needs to remain to be the the hallmark of how we want to operate in CD three and in Colorado, and that's a concern. Energy um, costs, inflation costs are beating everyone up. Getting better, stable wages is really important. Um, in the in the higher end communities that I know fairly well as well, th- there's an affordable housing issue, and they've been having those conversations for 50 years or 20 years. And obviously, I'm in Pueblo, and I'm in Alamos, I'm in Walsenburg, I'm in Grand Junction, Trinidad. They're having the same conversations about affordable housing now. So, you know, there's a lot more that we all have in common: rich, poor, urban, rural, Democrat, Republican. That we have difference. And again, I wish we would be fighting over all the successes we had and who could take credit than fighting over the foibles of yelling and screaming and stuff. And that's where we're running into things. But healthcare access is really big. Mental health care is a really big thing. Picking County, where I'm from, one of the wealthiest counties in the country, has some of the highest suicide rates and mental health um, issues in the, in the country as well. So money does not solve all problems. We all know that as well, but it, it, it's case in point with the numbers. Um, and again, I have 80% of the people I talk to or 90% of the people I talk to, cause I sort of seek them out, just want a quality of life. And part of that quality of life is, is less political noise. That's the whole thing in a nutshell right there. Um, so if I, if somebody asks me where as Adam Frisch is on energy, can I say that he is looking strictly at the math so yeah. all of the above, what energy, the math on it, both economically and impact on the environment. Is that a yeah. safe characterization? Yeah, yeah it is. I, I'm, I'm a realist. I would love to continue to move that we get to a more, more renewable resources, but we also have to be realistic and respectful and respectful, respectful, respectful in conversation because one side, because neither side has been that respectful to the other. When we've had a conversations, it's hard to get to the realism. And you need to get by the respect before you can get to the realism conversation. And all of the above needs to happen. We need to be realistic about what's going to go on. And when we make when we do ABC, we need to understand that XYZ is going to happen down the road. And we all need to row in the same boat going forward. And storage is really important. Uh, green energy is really important. Uh, but we need to figure out a way to do it, again, with respect and with the numbers in the back of our minds. It's going to take some period of time. 
And by the way, being respectful, I think, means asking questions with, with real intent and then listening for the yeah, answers. Listening is a big one. So if you had your choice of committees to sit on, what would number one and number two be? Well, water, I mean, natural resources and, and try to get on and try to focus on the water thing would probably be number one. Um, some type of conversation that's going on in, in the ag world, um, I think would be important too. I don't think we've had um, someone there for a while that's really focused on it. And so I think agriculture will be really, really important as well. There's a subcommittee that happens to deal with um, kind of the foreign relations of that. And we want to, you know, I think beef is still the top. Uh, export yeah. in Colorado, even with all of our fancy technology and everything else we're doing. And so I think that needs to um, be important as well. Um, you know, I could probably do some work in banking and foreign affairs, but I really want to focus to the nuts and bolts of, of issues that affect CD3. And I think that is ag, uh, some type of energy conversation in water for sure. Thank you. Thank you, Adam, so much. I appreciate you taking the time. I, I really wanted to have a, a little bit deeper dive on the whole energy thing. This has been thing. great. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, Let's make a plug <laughs> for your upcoming annual mm-hmm. meeting. Annual meeting, October 21st and 22nd. Go to action22.org. It'll pop right up and you can buy your tickets there. I think they're cheap right now, but they go expensive by yeah, the time this they do. Out. I think uh, the 14th of... The 14th. Yeah, the, you need to, you need October to get them now. October 14th. After that, they go up to $150. Um, there's sponsorship opportunities available from $500 all the way up to as much as you want to give us. Um, and, and of course, there are opportunities and, and things that come with that in different levels. Um, Action 22 does not endorse candidates during an election season. We do support our members. So if um, you're a member of Action 22, this is your platform. You can come on, tell us what you're about. Come on as many times as you want, actually. If you want to come on three times, come on three times. So um, what's that? Chad Forthman, I know you're listening. Um, I know that uh, you don't think about ag very much, but I just want to point out that um, our friend here just said that the most important things were water and ag. Um, And uh, we'd love to have you on the show so that you can demonstrate how to answer some actual questions. um, And you can talk a little bit about what you feel about ag. But you know, if you want to Chad, I know that you're out of town all the time. But when you come on the show, we have to drink whiskey while on the show. Oh, hey, whoa, whoa, where's my whiskey? There's some upstairs Let's and, and mustaches. Yeah. Whiskey and mustaches. I want to thank you both in action 22, obviously learning about action 22 and club 20, your brother and up there has been great. And it's great to see that there are these multi-jurisdictional conversations going on and it's really important. And again, we need to get to a place where we're, we're arguing over who gets credit for the success. Yep. And, and what's the website again? It's Adam for and Republicans for All right. All right. We hope to see you guys all um, on the 21st and 22nd. Again, if you have any questions on that, you can email us at show at action22.org. Um, you're going to want to be there. It will be interesting and fun. We'll talk to you guys next time. All right. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. This 
This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org.